You're listening to the New Life Podcast. We're one church in multiple locations based out of Aberdeen, South Dakota. We hope this message helps the gospel come alive for you and gives you an opportunity to encounter Jesus in a whole new way. For more info on New Life, you can check out our website at www.newlifeaberdeen.org. Let's get ready to listen to today's message. We are in seasons of change. Amen. We're coming out of something that had its own unique fears and its own unique trials, right? And we're, we're wrapping up this series on unsettled, choosing faith over fear. We've been talking a lot about fear because we live in a season that kind of created a lot of fear, amen? And so we're coming out of that season. It's almost as if we had a, a, a sort of a new normal figured out, and then all of a sudden school starts. How many college students have we got in here? Right now you get to go back to school and and I, I sort of had pity on you because when I went to school it was just kind of like oh man this is awesome I get to hang out do whatever I want but it seems like if you're in college now your experience is going to be a bit different right and so your normal is not what you were expecting and so you're going to college and you're doing your thing and it's it's a new season of life you're coming out of one that had its own unique fears but now you're moving into a new one that you're still trying to figure out you're still trying to grapple with. Right? You, you, maybe you're a, a small business owner and you're coming out of this last season and you were like, you know, I, I did pretty well. I was able to maintain most of my employees, but now with this new season that's coming, it doesn't look like things are clearing up in the near future, and now I'm having to make decisions as to whether or not I'm going to pay the rest of my employees or if I'm going to have to lay somebody off. There's businesses all over America that are making these type of decisions because it's a new season and just when you think you're getting used to it, all of a sudden these things can throw a curveball and now the new season you're moving into has its own unique sets of fears and trials and things that you and I have to overcome. And so as we look, as we look and move into a new season of ministry. We have things starting back up here at the church, which is really exciting. As we're looking into a new season where school's ramping back up and you can finally drop your kids off again at school, right? As we move into this new season, the question I want to ask you is what fears are you facing today? What new fears or what new challenges do you have on the horizon that you're grappling with and you're wrestling with? See, Rodney said that we're, we're going to keep going in the book of Malachi, so that we're going to look at a story of how God's people are shifting and they're moving into a new season, and it's not going to be a pleasant season. If you remember, there's going to be 400 years of silence that follows the book of Malachi where the voice of God is going to be silent. And they're going to wait again for that prophetic word of God to come back and to reignite and reengage the people. But when you look at the people in Malachi's day, what you realize and what Malachi is calling out is he's calling out a sin that is very deep. He's calling out a sin of people who have grown up in the religious institutes. They had come out of exile. They came out of a very bad season of life. They came out of bondage and captivity. If you think it's bad having COVID weighing down, go back to what the Israelites had. They were taken from their land, moved somewhere else where they had to live for years, and then finally, after years of oppression, they're released back to go to their land. We got it rough, but they got it worse. Okay? And so they've come back now. They're, they're living in the promises of God. They're living in the land. They have their temple. They have their religious institutions. They're now this light that's set up on a hill. And, and the people thought back in Babylon, I'll never take this for granted again. I'll never take for granted those things that I once had. I think about my own life and I'm like, man, you look at the parents who are dropping their kids off at school, right? They're dropping them off at school and it's like, man, 
I'm getting back to some sort of normal, but I'm never going to take this for granted again. I remember what April and May was like. I'm not going to take school for granted anymore. And we think in terms of even something as simple as going to Walmart, I can't wait for the day where I don't have to pull my mask out of my glove box that I wore 17 times that's starting to get a little bit of mold and nasty junk on it. I can't wait for the day when I don't have to wear that thing anymore. Yes, yes, you and I are friends, right? But we we say in our our mind, I'm never going to take this for granted again. And that's exactly what the people of Israel thought when they came out of Babylon. I'm never going to take the word of God for granted again. I'm never going to take the the law of Moses for granted again. I'm never going to take my faith for granted again. Because when when my ancestors did that, that's what led them to captivity. But what we see in Malachi is that after a hundred years or so, the word of God is going to come for the last time to these people. It's going to come for the last time and it's going to call out the sin because the thing they thought they would never take for granted again, they had slipped right back into it. So you've heard the saying, water always floats to the lowest point, right? It's the same way with human beings. We always, there's this gravitational pull that when we are not engaged in our faith, we're going to go to the lowest point. And, and when we're at that lowest point, God is far from us. Israel has fallen in to the trap of their own comfort, they've fallen into the trap where they no longer feared God. Malachi chapter four, verses one through three. God is confronting the sin of the people and this is how the book of Malachi is going to end. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. On that day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. The people have taken God's word for granted, and now they're falling back into the same habits that they were before. Think about your own life. When COVID first started, I remember there was like an energy in this church. You remember that? It's like the first, you, you're like, oh my goodness, we, we haven't gone to church for the last two weeks. I've had to sit in my living room and watch online, right? And then all of a sudden you hear that there's going to be some church up on the roof, and, and you come for the first Sunday not really knowing what to expect, and you see a couple dorky pastors out there waving to you and doing some funny things, letting you come in because we're pumped and we're excited that church is kind of happening. And then you look up on top of the roof and you see your pastor, and you're like, man, this is what it's about. There's this moment of fear, and the church is stepping up, and we're stepping up in a big way, and it's bringing energy to people. Did you guys experience that at all? I know I did. And so you have these high moments where you're just like, man, things are going well. I'm never going to take going to church for granted again. But what does human nature do? When we get back into our routine, when we get back into our comfort, it's so easy for us to fall back to that lowest point where over time we, we care a little bit less and a little bit less and a little bit less. The word of God becomes less important in our life because we're kind of getting back to our new normal. Where are you at? Let me ask you a question. What is it that you fear this morning? See, here's what Malachi does. Here's what God does that's so profound. He goes to the people of Israel and he says, there's a day coming. And he describes this day as if it's going to be this all-consuming fire, this day that's like judgment day, right? And when you see this phrase, the day of the Lord, or the day is coming, 
when you see that type of language, what you need to realize is that God means business. Now, last night I was getting ready for this message, and I was doing a lot of research, okay? I did a lot of research. I was on YouTube a lot. Uh, I was making sure to, to get all my information correct. But there's a man named Sylvester Stallone. And when you see Sylvester Stallone, and he, he doesn't have a shirt on, okay? And you zoom in, as I did in the YouTube videos, and you zoom in and you see those, those chiseled pecs, right? And you see those washboard abs that are real. Like, this guy is legit. And you see that short, curly hair, and you see that bow and arrow in his hand, and you see the quiver of arrows on his back, and you see that extreme, intense smolder. What you realize is that Sylvester Stallone means business. What you realize what you realize is that in that moment, something's about to go down. He's not getting in his minivan to go pick the kids up from school and take them to the park. No, what he's doing is he's getting ready for battle. It's reckoning day. Whether it's first blood or last blood, whether he's 25 or 55, it doesn't matter what area of his, or what age he is in these movies, this man is always ready with something. And he's always got that look on his face, and he's always got that, that thing that's going on. And when he's got it going on, you know it's about to go down. Because the day of reckoning is coming. Because somebody did something, they created some injustice against somebody that he's protecting or he's watching over, and you don't mess with his friends, and so he's going to get that bow and arrow out. And you don't want to be the guy at the end of that arrow, because it's reckoning day when Sylvester Stallone doesn't have his shirt on, and he's got a bow and arrow. All the ladies are loving this. They're like, oh, amen, pastor, right? But you know when you see the day of the Lord, you know he means business, but he, watch this, the scriptures leverage this. This is meant to create fear in you, in me. There's one, there's one scholar named Elmer Martins. He says this, the purpose of discussions about the day of the Lord, past or future, is to illuminate the present. We hear day of the Lord and we get our Bibles out and we're like, where's Daniel? Where's the book of Revelation, right? And we start trying to predict things and we, think, we start talking about all these conspiracy theories and we see the wildfires in California and we're like, the day of the Lord is near, right? And then we see, we feel a little earthquake under our feet and we're like, oh my gosh, the day of the Lord is near, right? And we think about this future event that's going to happen and that's true, that's going to happen. But what that day is meant to point you to is how are you living your life right now? It's meant to point you to right now and illuminate the present because it's meant to, to instill in you this fear of where am I at? Who's calling the shots? 2 Peter 3.11, it's picked up in the New Testament. It says, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, he's going to be talking about the day of the Lord right after this verse, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? The day of the Lord should make us ask the question, how am I living? What kind of person will I be? How am I facing the fears of tomorrow? It's meant to cause you to stop and ask, who am I becoming? Is my life honoring to God? Am I living a life holy unto him or am I just doing things my way? Am I honoring God in how I love my spouse? Am I honoring God in how I raise my kids? Am I honoring God in how I speak at work? Am I honoring God in how I love my neighbor as myself? Am I honoring God when I fight for justice? Am I honoring God with my life? But it asks the ultimate question, are you calling the shots or is God? Are you calling the shots or is God? Who's the one who has ultimate authority in your life? 
Because what we're going to see is that those who have given God the authority, they're going to find comfort in this day. They're going to hear about the fire and the brimstone. They're going to hear about the terror. And ironically, they're going to find comfort, peace, and rest because God is going to pour out his judgment and justice on the earth. But those who do not fear God, those who fear the the things of man, those who care too much what their neighbor thinks, those who fear too much what their boss thinks, those who fear too much about what culture thinks and who are constantly living and shaping their life based on what other people think rather than God, those are the people who over time, they're going to fear God less and less and less and less. So when they hear about the day of the Lord, it's not going to strike fear in their heart. Rather, they're not going to care. Malachi 2.5, he's speaking to those who fear God. It says, he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. Malachi 3.5, talking about someone who missed the point. It says, I will be a swift witness against the sorcerer, the adulterers, those who swear falsely, those who oppress, and they do not fear me. Malachi 2.4, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go and leap like calves from the stalls. God created you to fear We don't like hearing that in our culture because we think we need to get out of fear. We think we need to run away from fear. We need to think we we have to make an end around to get around fear so that we don't have to deal with it in our lives so that we can be truly happy. But here's the reality. You were made to fear something bigger than you. When I was a a freshman in high school, I played football and, and, uh, you know, I wasn't the, the fine specimen that I am today, right? Where's the ladies at? Come on, you should be... Thank you. That was a guy, but anyways. Um, no, but, but when I was a freshman, I played football, and I played cornerback because I wasn't the biggest guy on the team, and, and I realized that we had our own little Sylvester Stallone. His name was Michael Abyssiria, and he played running back. Okay, and he was probably twice my size, and, and one play, they pitched him the ball. It was a, a big sweep, and so he had plenty of time to get full speed, right? And I'm sitting there. It's just me and him. I threw off my guy because I was so strong and muscular, and I got down in position, and, and you know, I say that I hit him, but really he hit me, okay? And I just kind of stood there to stop him, and, and I realized in that moment that I was not invincible. I realized in that moment that, that I wasn't the biggest person on the field, I realized in that moment that Sylvester Stallone had come and it was judgment day and I felt it everywhere in my body. In fact, after that season, I was like, you know what, I think I'm done with football. I think I've had enough. I'm a basketball player. I'm just going to stick to that, right? But I realized in that moment that there was somebody bigger than me out there. And it humbled me. It instilled the fear of Abu Syria in me. And I knew I don't want to take that guy head on anymore. And so there's a newfound respect that was birthed out of the fear that I had. And it's in the same way that we read this passage today. We see something that's meant to instill fear in us. But when we allow it to do the right thing in our heart, it's going to create a respect. Do you fear God this morning? Ask yourself that question right now. Ask yourself that question after you're done hanging out with your friends. Ask yourself that question when you wake up tomorrow morning. Do I fear God? See, what we're meant to do with fear, my second point is this. We're meant to leverage it. Do you leverage your fear? Here's what leverage means. It means to use something to maximal advantage. Write that down. 
To leverage something is to use it to maximal advantage. And I would like to make this statement. When you are the most afraid, when you are at the deepest point of your fear, that's the opportunity where God can come and do the biggest transformation. That's the opportunity where God, where you can go to God and say, God, I am terrified. I don't know what's going to happen next. Will you take the reins of my life? The places and the moments of deepest fear in your heart and in your life are the opportunities where God can get the most control away from your hands and into his. Do you leverage your fear? Do you use it for your maximal advantage? Or is the fear something that you are continually running from? See, when we have misplaced fear, what we do is we create walls around ourselves that nobody can get in. Maybe it's a relationship and someone hurt us and we think, you know what, I don't want to trust anybody again. Maybe we're thinking, hey, I should, maybe I should go out and I should date again, but, but I've been hurt in the past and I don't know if I should let somebody in because last time it really hurt. And so what we do is we're really good at putting up walls to keep people out. But the reality is when you build walls to keep people out, you know what it also does? It keeps you inside. And instead of moving forward in the things of God, instead of overcoming and being transformed by the renewing of your mind, you're stuck in this habit of fear where you can't see beyond the walls because you've built them so high. And you think, I can never take another step forward. I can never move in the direction that God is calling me to because at the end of the day, I don't really trust him. I trust myself. And I gotta do what's best for me and I gotta protect me. Our fear can paralyze us when it's misplaced. But what Christians are not called to do is to be paralyzed by fear. We are called to face our fears. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to be vulnerable with you and share with you my deepest fear. I want to share with you the thing that keeps me up at night. And I want to share with you how God has taught me to deal with that because maybe in it you can pull something on how to deal with the fear that's in your life. See, my wife and I, we filled out our will a while ago, a couple years ago. And, you know, I've, I was, you know, strong, invincible, like I can take on the world. I've had a couple near-death experiences, and both times I was just adrenaline rush, junkie. I'm just like, woo, that was awesome. Okay, so I've never really feared this before. But we filled out our, our will, and, and I realized I'm going to die one day. <laughs> Captain Obvious here, right? But I, I was thinking about this over and over and over again, and I was like, man, this is, like, I don't know literally what's going to happen. I know, you know, spiritually, I know that I'm safe in Christ, I'm secured in his plan, right? I have the fear of God in my life, so I know it's not like a heaven or hell thing, but it's like, what's going to happen after I close my eyes and I don't wake up again? And it left me with this deep sense of darkness and fear. Like, for two weeks, a week to two weeks, I couldn't sleep at night. I'd get sporadic sleep one, two hours here. I'd wake up and, and just be stuck in my bed thinking and just, I, I literally felt like I was covered in darkness. I literally felt like the, the, the deepest fear that I've ever had in my life. I've never experienced something as traumatic as that. And it was weird. I didn't even expect it. And even two weeks ago, I woke up in the middle of the night and I just, I could not go back to sleep because all I could think about was what happens when. The clock runs out. What's going to become of me when this runs out? And I actually prayed to God. I'm like, Lord, this is the most terrifying thing that I experienced. I want to feel what it's like to know and to, to believe that you were not there. Let me experience that fear. Like, take me deeper in my fear. Like, God, what's it like to, to live with a worldview that says you're not even there? You're not even real. 
and I'm just going to turn into stardust and, and float through the universe. I've never experienced something so terrifying in my life, but here's what I learned. I learned that in the midst of fear, you can leverage it to its maximal advantage. What I realized in that moment is that the fear I was experiencing was but a taste of the fear that Christ experienced when he came to this earth and he died on the cross. And you say, Micah, you say this all the time. We always hear this message. Well, please listen to me because I think here is where you understand the fear of God. This is, where, this is what made it click for me. Is when I realized that the fear I experienced was but a taste of what Christ experienced on the cross. That the hopelessness I felt in that moment, Jesus ran to that hopelessness. Jesus came for that purpose. And when I feel that, when I experience it, when that anxiety keeps me up at night, it makes me look to the cross and see a God who came and he knew exactly what it was that I was going to fear. He knew exactly what it was that I was going to feel that night and he wanted to identify with me. And so guess what? I learned, look, my fear can point me to Jesus and do something that's awe-inspiring. And I appreciate the cross more because of what he did. I appreciate the cross more because he ran to the fear that I want to get away from. He ran to that fear and he died on a cross. The father turned his back on him. He was completely abandoned and alone. He experienced it in a way that was so much more intense than I ever could. And what I realized is when I leveraged my fear, you know what became great to me? God. Jesus became so great. Can I tell you something? I didn't sleep better. Can I tell you something? I don't have a, a jingle that I say and then I go to sleep at night because I'm so scared, right? It, I stay up at night still because this sort of thing comes to my mind, but I realized out of it, when I'm staying up the, the hour, two hours later, what I realized is that those are some of the most profound and powerful moments of worship that I could ever have. Why? Because I'm seeing the gospel in my life. I'm seeing the hopelessness that Jesus experienced 10 times more than I ever could. I'm seeing it happen in front of me and I can say, Jesus, you are with me and you are in control. In those moments, you know what I do? I let go. I say, Jesus, these are the moments of the deepest fear that I have. Will you come and take control of my life? And it reminds me, I'm not the biggest person in the world. This world is not about me. It's about him. And when I get plugged into that, when I get plugged into that reality, things in my life start changing. Decisions that I make change because now I'm not just looking for what culture thinks. I want what God thinks. If he did that for me on the cross, if I'm experiencing this depth of darkness and this anxiety, and I'm going through this right now, his was way worse, and now he comes to me, and he says, Micah, I'm going to walk with you through it. Leverage this to its maximal advantage so that you can know me more. See, in the midst of fear, we find freedom. Malachi 4.2, let's read that again. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. God is not afraid to talk about fear. God wants to talk about fear. He wants you and I to fear him because this is the irony of it. When we face our fears, when we look at the fear that Christ overcame at the cross, it's actually something that's meant to bring liberation to us. 
Think of the story of Job, right? He had all these issues that God allowed to happen in his life. And he finally gets his day in court where he gets to stand before God and he says, God, why? Why this? Why this? Why this? I'm a righteous man, blah, 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 blah. God rebukes him and puts him in his place and says, Job, where were you? All Job responds is, you are God. He doesn't even have the words to speak to God because he realizes he is but a man and that God is God. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. If you want to know how to live your life and the trajectory that you are on is holy, do you fear God? That's the beginning of the how when it comes to living your life. The place of greatest fear is the place of greatest salvation. On the cross, Jesus experienced the greatest fear a human being could ever experience. He faced a separation from a holy God. He cried out before because of incredible pain, but he cried deeply because he was full of fear. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Matthew 27, 51 through 53. I want you to see this. This is after Jesus dies on the cross. You hear me talk about that all the time, right? But after Jesus dies on the cross, what happens? During the time, darkness covers the land. But this is what happens. Behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Matthew is describing a terrifying scene. Think about that for just a second. Darkness is over the land. The earth is shaking. Rocks are literally splitting in half. Arms that were dead are now popping out of the ground, right? Like some of us were like, oh my, that's crazy. Like that'd be kind of cool to see, right? It's like you'd be at Sunset Memorial Gardens and all of a sudden people started getting up out of the ground. You're not going to be like, honey, get the kids. You got to see this. You're going to be like, no, get in the car. We're leaving. You're going to go get your AR-15 and you're going to go hide in that bunker you've been stacking food in for the last 15 years, right? It's terrifying. Matthew's trying to show you, you and me something that this is a terrifying day when Jesus Christ dies on the cross, It's meant to be horrifying. It's not meant to be a pleasant thing. It's meant to be awful, and we're supposed to feel the weight of it. We're supposed to feel the terror that Jesus felt. We're supposed to fear or feel the fear that the people who were looking on felt. But watch what happens in the middle of it. Watch what happens in the middle of this terrible day. Verse 54, when the centurion and those who were with them Keeping watch over Jesus, they saw the earthquake and what took place. They were filled with awe. They were in fear. And they said, truly, this was the Son of God. People who never followed Jesus. The only reason they ever followed Jesus was because they were the ones taking him to the cross. They were the ones who were going to kill him. And now they're saying, truly, they they realize something in this moment, in this terrifying, God-ordained moment, they realized that they were to fear God. And that something was shifting in reality. Truly, this is the Son of God. See, the cross is meant to terrify us. We're meant to be scared when we hear the stories of the cross Because in it we see the reality of our sin. We see judgment day. We see Rambo pulling back his bow. We see it being executed. But it's not you and me. It's the man Jesus Christ dying on a cross for our sins. The judgment of God poured out on him. 
And then three days later, he's going to rise again. The cross is meant to terrify us, but the resurrection is meant to inspire us. Because it shows that Jesus defeated death. It shows that Jesus paved a way where you and I never could. The cross is meant to destroy us, but the resurrection is meant to redeem us. When you are afraid, who do you want next to you? I want to tell you one last story before I close. I was with uh, my older brother and my younger brother out at Wiley Park, and we were walking down the Yellow Brick Road, okay, and we had just come out of the scary trees where Brian Schultz does his creepy voice and tries to scare your kids and my kids successfully almost every time, right? We're walking down the Yellow Brick Road, and you guys know where the witch's castle is. It's kind of up there, you know, mounted on top of those stones, but there's that big rock right before. You guys know what I'm talking about? That big old rock. And you always see kids running and playing on it. And so my, the, I had one uh, little girl with me. Uh, I had two nieces there as well. And they saw the rock. They're like, i got to get up the rock. And so they go start climbing the rock. And we help them up, right? But when they get to the top, the oldest one is like six, okay? So we're not talking like really old girls here. When they get to the top, they literally stop, every single one of them. They stop. Their knees kind of going like this. They start shaking. And you know how kids get when they get scared, right? They start making those whimpering noises, but they're not going to go into a full-blown cry because if they do, they're going to lose control, and they're scared to lose control. And so they're just sitting there, and they're shaking, and they're kind of making these weird uh, grunts and moans. They're just like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do because I can't get down, right? They're terrified because they, they can't get down. They're full of fear. Fear has overcome their bodies. And we, being great parents, we're like, well, you better figure it out, you know? But my brother Ethan, my little brother Ethan, did something that I think is one of the most profound things he's ever done and probably will ever do, okay? He goes to the end of the rock. He goes to the end of the rock, and he's like, hey, come down here. He has a soothing voice for him, right? He's not freaking out. He's not being like, come on, just overcome your fear. He's not doing anything like that. He's just talking to them in a calm voice. And the little girls, they shuffle down, right, because they're absolutely terrified and they're moving super slow because they don't want to fall. And they come to about a foot from the edge, and Ethan sticks up his arms to them, and this is what he says. He says, hey, trust me more than the fear. He looks the little girls, each one of them in the eye, and he says, trust me more than the fear. And he just keeps saying it over and over and over and over and over again until finally the first little girl goes to the edge, and with great courage, but in the midst of great fear, her arms and her legs shaking, she literally just falls off, doesn't jump, doesn't do anything. And Uncle Ethan's there with the big, strong arms. He catches her, puts her on the ground, and he does it for the next girl and the next girl. And, and guess what? They ran around the rock, they climbed back up, and they, you know, ah, and they went back over to the edge of the rock, and then they began to jump off the rock into Ethan's arms. And he just kept saying, trust me more than the fear. Trust me more than the fear. Trust me more than the fear. You can trust me because I love you, and I'm not going to drop you. Trust me more than the fear. And after a while, the thing that scared them the most was now the thing that they were walking into and jumping through. Why? Because they knew someone was at the bottom who was going to catch him. This is what the gospel is for you and me. In our life, we're on a rock, and it's like we've built these walls, and we think this is the heart of sin. We don't believe that God loves us. 
We don't believe that God's plan for our life is good. And so we create these walls around us and we say, nobody's getting on my rock and I'm not leaving my rock and I'm going to stay right here because when I look out and I see the, the, the rock around me, the, the space around me, I don't see anybody that I can trust. I don't see anybody who's going to do what's best for me. I don't even trust myself anymore. And so I'm not jumping off this rock. I'm going to stay right here. Here's what the gospel shows you. It shows you a father who is standing there with both his arms up saying, you can trust me. Trust me more than the fear. Trust me more than the people that you have trusted in the past. And jump into my arms, and you'll find safety, you'll find security. Here's how Malachi ends, Malachi 4, verse 6. It says, one day, this is the last verse of the Old Testament, one day there's going to come a man, and he's going to turn the hearts of the father to the kids. And he's going to turn the hearts of the children to the father. You know why God's standing there? You know This is what's so beautiful. Because on the cross, the father turned his back on his only son. He took the punishment for sin. And because of that moment, because God poured out the judgment on Jesus, it's as if now God can turn his face to the son, a holy, righteous God. And the children who were far away, lost in their trespasses and sin, They're now turned to each other and they can have a relationship again. The cross is the proof that God is standing there with his arms up. You don't have to put walls up with him, but you can trust him. And you can jump into your fear. You can face your fear. You can leverage your fear because God is great and his love for you is perfect and great. Will you make that jump this morning? Will you make it tomorrow? When you have to ask that question of do I have to lay off an employee, will you make that jump Let's pray. Jesus, we worship you. We thank you. We just pray that as those little girls took the jump, Father, would we have the courage to do that as well? Would you remind us and prove to us and show us that your cross is the ultimate sign of love, that you want a relationship with us? Jesus, we worship you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. Lord, let us leverage our fears so that we can make you great in our mind and in our life. Lord, would you show us that when we face our fears, we realize you have faced the fear and we can find true freedom. Father, have your way in our hearts, we pray in your name. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray this message connected with you, and we hope it gave you another way to connect with Jesus and your New Life family. For more ways to get plugged in here at New Life, you can visit our website at www.newlifeaberdeen.org. Thanks again for listening, and have a great week.